You guys may have a seat. And uh, this morning we're going to be back in Acts chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, that's where we'll be most of the, the morning. I wanted to pick up with the last two verses that we left off with last week. Um, as you remember, Paul and Barnabas had gone into Iconium and they were run out of town again. Uh, it seems like everywhere they go, uh, they have great success right up front. The Jews grow jealous. And then before we know it, the Jews have turned the crowds against Paul and Barnabas. And they either uh, beat them, stone them, run them out of town. But, but they do something to try to silence the message of the gospel. And I'm going to be very honest with you. When you and I share the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the full gospel of Jesus Christ, if we don't get some kind of pushback from that, then something's probably wrong. Either God has prepared everybody in the room to hear that gospel, or, or we're not sharing the whole gospel. Uh, every time these guys step up and share the whole gospel, we see that there are those that respond and those that, that embrace that gospel. It, it, it brings alive in them this, this, this new life in Christ. But just as much as those folks respond, uh, those that oppose the gospel tend to respond. I think sometimes the real temptation, especially in the world that we live in today of political correctness and this idea that we can't say anything that might offend anybody causes many Christians to water down or tame down or, or just give parts of the gospel. We, we tend to want to say, well, yeah, God is, is love and he loves everybody and he's got this great and wonderful plan for all the world and and we just want to emphasize that part of God's nature, but we don't come in with the rest of the gospel that says we're dead in our sins and we're lost unless we repent, unless we turn to this true and living God. And so as Paul and Barnabas flee from Iconium, it says here in Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 6 and 7, that um, they learned of this plot that was going to, uh, to, to arise to stone them. And it says they learned of the plot and they fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lyconium and the surrounding countries. And there, this is important, and there they continued to preach the gospel. I want you to, to keep this in mind as we go through this series. The location will change, but their mission never does. They will go from town to town to town to town, but their mission never changes. And that ought to be true for you and I as well. It ought to be true that, that no matter where God plants us and where God puts us, your job could transfer you tomorrow. And you may be put in a whole new location, a whole new city, or even a whole other country. But your mission never, ever changes. You may go from one job to another job. You may move from one town to another town. But, but the mission, even though the location may change, your mission as a believer, your calling from God does not change. You may change jobs, even change occupations, and going from being one professional here to a different professional there, and you may change completely what you do for a living, but your mission never changes. You may go from going to work every single day to being retired and getting to stay home and, and, and work on this to-do list that you have now, but your mission never changes. Your location may change, your occupation may change, but your mission does not change. And so here's these guys now going into another city, but their mission stayed the same, and that was to continue to preach the gospel. Now, they're going into a town called Lystra, and if we look at the map real quick, we'll show you again where all these different places are. They started here in this Antioch. They sailed to Cyprus. They went up through Perga. They went into a new Antioch in Poseidon. 
Uh, they got run out of town there. They went down to Iconium. They've just been run out of town there. Now they've gone this 40 miles, or it's 18 miles down to Lystra. And then they're going to come on over here to this 40 miles to Derby. And then they're going to double back and start making this trip back home. So today what we're talking about is Lystra. Lystra was Timothy's hometown. We talked last week about the fact that it was probably back in Antioch where they picked up Timothy because Paul says, you, you've heard and you've seen my struggles in Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra. And so they think that Timothy was with them on this, even though that he hadn't officially joined the missionary team, that he was traveling with them and seeing firsthand the persecutions that Paul was going through, which makes even more incredible what's going to happen a little bit later when Paul comes back through and grabs Timothy and takes him on this second missionary journey. Because Timothy's not going into this blind. Timothy has already seen what, what opposition comes. He's seen the, the stoning of, of, um, of Paul and the whippings and, and the things that, that have gone on to him. So when Timothy signs up to go on the second missionary journey, he's not thinking this is all going to be roses. He knows what lies in store for him. So they take it on down into Timothy's hometown and they arrive in, in Lystra. And that's where we pick up our story today. It says in verse 8, let's just, let's just look at this together. It says, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled. It says he was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking at ten, intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So Paul gets to Lystra. They began to teach. Uh, it doesn't say he went into a synagogue. They don't think there was a Jewish synagogue there. Again, in order for there to be a Jewish synagogue, there need to be at least 10 Jewish men that would be willing to organize the synagogue and to get it going. And so here in Lystra, where there's no mention of a synagogue. So he just goes to the streets. He begins to preach. And there on the street, he sees this crippled man, this guy who had been crippled from birth, who had never walked. And yet there was something about what Paul was sharing that caught this man's attention. Something that, that this man was zeroed in on. And, and as a speaker, I'll just tell you this. As a speaker, you, you know when people are listening and you know when they're not. Usually a good sign that they're not as their head goes back, their mouth falls down, and you hear this loud breathing that takes place. That's usually a good cue that it's time to land the plan, land the plane and, and, and get done. Well, this guy is zeroed in, man. I mean, he is, he is there with Paul, and Paul can see within him that there's this hunger, this, this faith to, to receive what Paul is talking about. And, and, and he's seen something in Paul, and he sees something in the message that Paul is, is, is preaching. And Paul knows that this guy has the faith that it takes to be made well. And so he just says to the man, stand up. And this guy jumps up, man, and he begins to walk. And then something really, really strange happens. It says that as this man began to walk, the crowd saw what Paul had done. Now, they thought this was done by the power of Paul, right? They saw what Paul had done, and they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconium, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, before I go on, let me explain to you kind of a... Uh, this legend that every child of Lystra would have been taught sitting in their mom's lap. Uh, it was a story that had been circulated for years and years and years. No doubt Timothy probably had heard this story as well. Every child of, of, of uh, Lystra had heard this story. There was a temple of Zeus that was built in Lystra 
And the origin of that temple went like this, that the gods Zeus and his spokesman, his forerunner named Hermes, had come to Lystra dressed as poor people. They disguised themselves. They came into the town dressed as these vagabonds, these these homeless people. And these two gods walked through the town seeking shelter, seeking food, seeking somebody to help them. And everybody in the town turned their back on these homeless people, except for one elderly man and an elderly woman. And this elderly man named Philemon and his wife named Bacchus, they took in these two homeless men, these gods in disguise. They brought them into their house, they sheltered them, they fed them, they they took care of them, and then they sent them on their way. And right before they sent them on the way, the gods revealed themselves as the gods. And magically turned that little cottage into this temple of Zeus with stone and gold, and, and it became the temple of Zeus. But everybody who had rejected those gods was turned into frogs. It's like a Disney movie. But this is what they believed. And the gods left and says, we will be back one day and you better treat us better than you treated us this time. That is the story that every kid in Lystra grew up hearing and believing. That the gods are going to come back and we had better be better than we were before. We missed it the first time. We've got to be ready for it the second time. And so this is the story that every kid had done. And and they grew up generation after generation waiting on the return of Zeus and his spokesman Hermes. And so that's the background for what you're you're fixing to be told here in this story. So it makes a little more sense now. Paul and Barnabas have come to town. They performed this great miracle unlike anything that anybody in Lystra had ever seen before. And the first response of the, of the people of Lystra is, oh my goodness, the gods have come back. They're here. They're here. Last time, our forefathers rejected them. This time, we are going to throw a party, and we are going to celebrate, and we are going to sacrifice, and we are, they are back. They are back, and we are not going to miss this opportunity. And so as soon as the healing takes place, the people... It's like everything fit together perfectly. It all made sense. The gods are here among us. Verse 12. Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul they called Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker. (laughs) Paul had the big mouth. He was the forerunner. He was the one that was making the way and letting people see and know that, that Zeus had arrived. And so they called Paul Hermes. And they called Barnabas Zeus, these these two gods that had come down before and left. Verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, he brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and he wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Why? We missed our opportunity before. We're not going to miss this opportunity again. They came and we were bad. Now they've come back and we're going to be good. We are not about to miss this great opportunity to offer sacrifices to the, to the gods. But verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? Remember, this was not the story that they had heard. This was not a story that they were familiar with. All they know is we healed a guy and now you want to sacrifice to us? Herod had given a great speech not too long before this. And the people said, oh, the gods are among us. Herod is a god. And God struck Herod down. 
Paul and Barnabas are like, dude, we need to make clear that we are not a God. I don't know what your, your parents and grandparents told you, but we are not gods. And you are not to worship to us. And so what they say here is that they, they tell them, man, we are, we are, why are you doing this? We are men of like nature with you. In other words, we're just like you. But we bring good news. And the good news is that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. There's the gospel right there. It's a God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. In other words, God was patient. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he, this, this true living God, did good by giving you rains from heaven. Not Zeus, but this God that we're preaching. He's the one that gave you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. He's the one that satisfied your hearts with food and with gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Man, here, here we see a story where Paul and them go into a town and they share the gospel and they find a man that's got this faith to believe and, and they do this miracle and now all of a sudden the people are wanting to make them their God. Sometimes we read these stories quickly and we, we forget about the temptation that's there for a leader. Paul has been beaten, chased out of town, harassed, stoned. He said all these things happened to him, and now he's finally in a city that's excited about his message, excited about the power of God moving, that they're so excited they want to exalt Paul and Barnabas to this this high place and and, and worship them and do all that. And, and, And to be honest with you, this is a pride check for Paul and for Barnabas. A great test of a leader is not what happens when things go bad, but what happens when they go good. How do you handle the praise of men? How do you handle it when, when, when things go good and God shows up and does something and all of a sudden, man, the, the, the altar is full and people are praying and the pastor goes, man, that was the best sermon I've ever preached. That's what most of us would think. But not Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're there and they, they, they see what's about to happen. I'm sure Timothy's whispering in their ear, man, they think that you're the gods. Here's the story that we were told as children and all of a sudden Paul and Paul and Barnabas go, whoa, 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 wait, wait. We are not gods. We are just like you. We're men like you who needed the good news that we're wanting to share with you. This good news changed our lives and it will change yours as well. There's only one problem with giving good people good news is that it implies that the news that they've already had and the stories that they've already believed are not good news. Paul says, look, we're men just like you and we bring you good news. And here's the good news. You need to turn from those vain things, those silly stories, those, those, those childhood stories, turn from that and that false God named Zeus to the real God. The living God, the God that's provided you rain and crops and food, who's filled your stomach and satisfied your heart. That's the God you need to turn to, not to Zeus. Zeus is is vain. He's empty. He's powerless. 
any time that you choose to share the true gospel with somebody. It's going to insinuate that they don't have the true gospel. Anytime we say, here's the truth and here's error, there's going to be opposition. Because just like, just like people in the South don't lay down their guns without a fight, people who are lost will not lay down their gods and their idols without a fight. Paul is there and he says, here's the good news. You need to turn. That's called repentance. How many of you see repentance as good news? I mean, most of us don't naturally see repentance as as good news. You need to repent. And we go, who are you to tell me what I need to do? You're a sinner just like me. Well, Paul's already established that. We are sinners. We are men just like you. And, and as men just like you who needed a Savior, Paul, Paul could have gone into his resume here, couldn't he? I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, and I was this, and I was that, and I was excelling. He could have gone through all of that again. But he summarizes it quickly and says, I, I'm just like you. I'm, I, I'm a man just like you who needed Jesus. And so we're here to share with you the gospel. The good news is this. You need to turn. You, you are headed one direction, and you need to turn around, have a change of mind. Now, the gospel always has two parts, and repentance always has two parts. We're going to turn from something, and we're going to turn to something. He says here, you need to turn from these vain things. You need to turn from these things that are, that are empty or useless. They're, they're just wives' tales. Turn from that to something that is true. To the one who is true. The the one true God. The message of repentance went over about as well then as it does today. This priest of Zeus who has given his life. Given his life to proclaiming the, 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 the truths of Zeus. got to be insulted you mean to tell me that you think that all that i've given my whole life to is vanity yeah you think it's useless yeah you think it's wrong that it's a lie that it's false yeah and that's insulting and that's offensive and not only that but i would imagine this 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 priest of zeus is going, dude, if you convince the people of that, I'm, I'm out of work. My offerings are going to go way down. My influence in the community is going to evaporate. I've got to hang on to this. And I'm, so, I'm sure that he was not a big fan of Paul and Barnabas. I'm sure he wasn't the first person down the aisle. They're, they're proclaiming good news of repentance. And guys, listen, the gospel, the gospel is not the gospel without the message of repentance. 
There, there are a lot of people peddling what they call a gospel that just says God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy and wise without any turning from the things of this world to the living God, without any turning from the, the, the things of this earth that, that make us comfortable and, and, and happy and, and all those kind of things to a gospel that calls us to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. There's a lot of false gospel being peddled out there today that is leading people straight into the pit of hell. Because anytime we add anything to the gospel, we change the gospel, and it's no longer the gospel. In, in Galatians, Paul talks about that. He, he's writing to this church. Now remember, the Galatian church is the, is the area, the region that he's visiting right now. Later on, he's going to write back to them and say, man, I am astonished at how quickly, at how quickly, you have turned from the gospel and you're turning to a different gospel. Look at the very next verse, a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. He says, I'm astonished at what you've done. He says, you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there's some that trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's only one gospel and it's been laid out for us. We don't reshape it. We don't refashion it. All we can do is repeat it. But when we add something to the gospel, remember a couple weeks ago I took the bottle of water and I added the Kool-Aid to it and it forever changed it from water to Kool-Aid? I couldn't call that bottle water anymore because we put powder in it and it changed it from what it was to something completely different. When we add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether we're adding works or sacraments or, 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 or church membership or anything else to the gospel, we change the gospel from the gospel. And so Paul is there saying, look, you've got to turn from vain things, things that will not matter eternally. Your false beliefs, your false trust, your false faith. And you've got to turn to the living God. If Paul and Barnabas had been man pleasers, this would have been the perfect time for them to say, you know what? Lister's a nice town. We could, we could make a good living here. We could set up shop. We could, we could they, I mean, they already like us. It, it's obvious, man, this is where God wants us. Look at the kind of car the priest of Zeus is driving. I could probably have one of those. That's nice. A nice cart. Nice donkey. If they'd wanted to be people pleasers, this would have been a great place to do it. But Paul wasn't called to please people. He was called to proclaim the gospel. And this is a gospel. Good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. He's the God that's been giving you everything that you have. He's been patient with you. He's prepared you for this moment. But he's the living God. And if you want life, you've got to come to the living God. Not some God of your own making. And so here we see these guys. They're, they're given this opportunity probably to experience finally some comfort. All they got to do is water down the gospel. Just, just let them have a little sacrifice. Let them do their thing, even though you know it's not real. I mean, what can it hurt? 
Paul and Barnabas say, no way. Can't, can't do that. Can't compromise the gospel to win man's applause. We, we've got to stick with the gospel. We've got to make sure that what we say and what we do is, is honoring to God. You see, these guys' philosophy in Lystra was, we've just got to do better. We've got to try harder. First time these gods came to town, we, we didn't get it right. And now they're ticked at us. But man, if we can just do the perfect sacrifice, if we can just, just get it right this time, man, they, they, they built one temple last time. Just think about the blessings that they would pour out on us if we just get it right. Do you know that's the same message of the prosperity gospel? The reason that you're poor or that you're sick or that you don't have everything that Joel Osteen has. Uh-huh. You got your attention. It's because you lack faith or you haven't sowed enough seeds or you didn't get it right yet, but there's still hope for you, brother. If you'll just give and you'll just claim and you'll just believe and you just think the right thoughts, it's coming your way. It's what feeds our flesh because we get to take credit for some of this. It's what makes us feel like we've done something. We're deserving. We've earned it. We've worked for it. We've proven ourselves. We've got this. And yet that's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. It tickles our ears, but it leaves our hearts empty. Paul and Barnabas know that the only thing that can change this city is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. As unpopular as that may have been for them to say, I'm sorry, but we're just like you and you can't worship to us. We, we don't accept that. And they tore their robes and they ran into the town and they said, stop, stop, stop. We are not gods and we will not allow you to sacrifice to us. Even in the midst of that, they scarcely could restrain the people from offering sacrifice. People don't throw down their gods that easy. And neither do we. The thing that I struggle with the most is growing up with the legalistic checklists and trying to understand what grace really looks like. I want to run back to those checklists because that's easy. That's, that's black and white. And I know that I read my Bible and I pray and I give and I attend church and I do and I do and I do. And oh, man, God must be proud of me. That's not the gospel. We wear our bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Andrew and I were talking this week. I said, Andrew, we need to come up with a new bracelet. Not what would Jesus do, but what has Jesus done? That's the gospel. But we want to do. But the gospel is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done. That's why any theology that includes works or sacraments or any of those types of things, any, any, any theology that says, well, you can go to heaven, you just need to join my church. You just need to give. You just need to do. You just need to... 
fill in the blank. It's a false gospel. It's not true. Now, we can stay quiet about that. And we can take them by the hand and say, well, you believe in God and I believe in God and we're all just God's children. And that makes people like you. And you can hold their hand and you can ta-ta and you can compromise and you can water down the gospel and you can hold their hand all the way to hell. Is that loving? Is that beneficial? Is that helpful? It's not. But we tend to talk ourselves into that. Well, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I I don't want them to dislike me. I don't want them to think that I'm narrow-minded. I don't want to think that, that my way is the only way. Well, Jesus said that. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And by the way, Jesus alone. Not Jesus in your religion, not Jesus in your works, but Jesus alone. About 15 years ago, I had a lady come up to me from another denomination And she said, hey, I've been coming to your church off and on, and I really like it. Can I stay, uh," and she named her denomination, and still be a member of your church? It kind of caught me off guard. And I'm like, well, if you like what we're doing, why would you want to remain there? Well, that's my family faith, and I don't want to leave it. But I like what you say, and I like the gospel as, as you guys, she didn't call it the gospel, but I like the messages that you preach. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Because I'm thinking about how we hate to throw away our old stuff. We just want to add new to it. And I, I thought about what she said, and I thought, you know, the, the sad part is she didn't see the difference between her old religion and this new one. It felt better, but she didn't see the distinction, the difference And I don't think that was so much a reflection of her as much as maybe a reflection of me. That she was leaving one type of legalism and and works theology wanting to embrace another kind of legalism and works theology. I don't think that statement said as much about her as it said about me. So it just seemed natural for her to transition from that one to this one. When in reality, those two are, are not at all alike. And I think that we've got to be careful that we proclaim the whole gospel. Even though for some that will be offensive. And for some they will not find a home sitting underneath that message of grace and of the gospel. Because they'll still want to be able to say, well I did this and I did that, and, 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 and I, 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 I. But the gospel is not about me and what I've done. It's about what Jesus did and who he was and how he took my sins upon himself. And that he that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So here we see in this story these people 
that, that Paul has, has now addressed. He's done this miracle. The people are so excited. And Paul says, whoa, 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 don't light the fire. Don't kill the animal. We're not having a sacrifice today. And they called the thing off. And Paul and Barnabas, I, I think, stuck around. It, it, it seems like it just kind of flows quickly, but I really think there was some time that took place between verse 18 and verse 19. Verse 18, they scarcely restrained the people from offering the sacrifice. Verse 19, which I think was some time later, Jews from Antioch and Iconium, uh-oh. Remember those two cities? Here's some Jews, probably on a trade route, probably coming through doing business. Some Jews from Antioch and Iconium coming in, and they persuaded the crowds. Have you heard that before? Everywhere Paul and Barnabas go, there's some Jews just waiting to stir up the crowd. They, they persuade the crowds, and they stone Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So here's Paul and Barnabas sharing the gospel. Those Jews that rejected it in Antioch, the Jews that rejected it in Iconium, they're in town probably doing some trading. They're getting together. They're going, oh, there's that radical Paul and that sidekick Barnabas. And they catch Paul by himself. They circle around him and they stone him. But they stone him inside the city walls, which was not kosher. So they quickly drag him outside the city walls and the crowd disperses immediately because they don't want the Roman soldiers coming in and arresting them for killing somebody. So they drag Paul quickly outside the city. He's evidently unconscious. They think he's dead and they leave him. And word reaches the followers of of God, the, the disciples that are there. And they circle around Paul going to claim his body to give it a decent burial. And when they get to Paul, they probably find him laying in a pool of blood. And Paul, Paul arises, look what it says. Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he entered the city. Did you catch that? Where'd he go? Off to the next city? What is it about Paul? He gets up and he goes right back into the city. Now, it doesn't say he stood up and preached again. He's probably so beat up that he can't. But he probably went back inside the city walls to somebody's house there that was a a supporter of what they were doing. Spent the night. Got up the next day and headed out to Derby the next town that they would, they would arrive at. I, I don't know about you, man, but if I got stoned in one town, I think I would take my, my chances outside the walls. I think I'd say to those friends, go, go grab a tent and bring it, and we'll just camp out here tonight because I'm done with those people. But Paul understood the sovereignty of God, the protection of God, that they couldn't take his life one second before God said his life would be done. It didn't mean he wouldn't suffer. It didn't mean he wouldn't be stoned. Y'all, we're not talking about somebody just shooting BBs at you. 
these guys are throwing stones. They, they thought Paul was dead. That's how serious the stoning is. And somehow the next day, Paul's able to get out of bed and to go to the next town so he can preach the gospel again. I can't imagine what young Timothy's thinking. He's brought Paul to his hometown to tell his friends and his family the good news of Jesus Christ. And the people that Timothy's looked up to all of his life are picking up stones and killing this man who just wants people to know about Jesus. The gospel comes with a price. Jesus paid the price on the cross. But if we're going to be ambassadors of the gospel, it's going to cost us something. If we're going to share the gospel with our world around us, there's going to be people that embrace it and are changed forever. And there's going to be those that oppose it and come after us with a fierce anger. These crowds that were whipped up and stirred up were those that were blind to the truth. This gospel message that we need to turn from our gods of Zeus and these vain things to a living God was insulting to them and it was nonsense to them. In 1 Corinthians, there's a passage that talks about the fact that, that the gospel is foolishness. It's foolishness to those who don't know Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, for the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, those who are lost. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. Not everybody's going to receive the gospel, and not everybody's going to be happy when you preach the gospel and you share the gospel. But these guys continue to share it despite their, uh, their opposition, despite the, the pain and all that they were going to go through. Um, they knew that if they were going to change their world, they had to share the gospel with those around them. Verses 22 in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Jews demand a sign, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we have to make a decision when we approach people in our world today. Do we share the real gospel, knowing that some won't be able to swallow it, and that some will revolt and retaliate and come back after us? Maybe slandering us, calling us names. Or is our goal just to blend in? To be like the world, to have the world like us. I mean, if they don't like us, how are they going to listen? Right? We tell ourselves. I need to be their friend, and I need for them to like me. And then one day, maybe I'll get around to, to sharing the gospel with them. But, but in reality, what happens in those situations is this. I become friends with them. We become so close and so tight and, and so that it's awkward now to bring up the gospel. You're, I thought you were my friend. I mean, you, you see the things I do. How could you, 
How could you say I can't tell you how many times that I've softened the gospel when I shouldn't have. Not realizing at the moment what I was doing, but probably chasing after the applause of people more than the approval of God. How many times we've said, well, just a little bit of praise wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. I mean, it's good for people to like their pastor and to speak well of him. The gospel can't be changed. And the minute that we change it, it's no longer the gospel. So where, where is the gospel in this passage? Yeah, we see that good news, you need to turn. That's part of the gospel. But guys, we also see the gospel in a lot of different ways. Look at this story again. If you're looking for the gospel in this story, here it is. We, human beings are that crippled man. We've been crippled by sin our entire life. We cannot walk with God. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. We're crippled. Dead in our sins and our transgressions. We need somebody to come to us. We need someone to bring the gospel to us. You didn't just wake up one day and say, I want to be a Christian. Somebody brought the gospel to you. There was a hunger. There was a desire that that welled up in you to know that gospel. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. And you believed the gospel. Like this crippled man believed Paul. And that gospel calls us to rise up and to walk with God, to leave our grave clothes behind, to leave our old life behind. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are gone and a new life has come. That's the result of the gospel. Can you imagine with me? Let's just play a game here. Just imagine with me this crippled man is sitting here and and, and Paul sees that he's got faith to be healed. And Paul says, rise up and walk. You're healed. And the crippled guy goes, thanks, but I'm comfortable. Like, I'll just stay here in my chair. I mean, thanks, because there's going to come a day where I want to walk, and when I finally get ready to walk, then I'll know my legs will work then, but but I'm just going to stay the way I am right now. Thank you. Can you imagine that happening in Paul's day? A, A crippled man who's never, ever walked since birth being given the ability to walk and him saying, yeah, you know, I'm just going to stay right here for a little while. And after the crowds are gone and everybody's gone, I I, I may give it a try, but I'm not going to get radical about this, okay? Can can you imagine? Is that foolishness or what? To think the guy would just stay seated seated there. And yet, there's people every day who say, I want to be saved and skip hell. But I just want to stay right where I'm at. I'm comfortable. Maybe, maybe one day I'll walk with God, but I'm going to stay right here doing my thing for right now because this is really all I know. 
Is that foolish to think that that person really knows Jesus? That that person really had the faith to believe that Jesus did it all and could save them and change them? Would they not jump up and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, man, and I'm going full speed ahead, and and this guy's not going to sit down for days? He's not. He sat his whole life. We are this crippled man. And we've been given the gospel. And by the help of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in our lives, we were able to respond in faith. And and we've been given brand new life. And we're foolish to think that we can just sit here and go, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll get around to walking. But not right now. I don't like the attention and I don't want everybody to know. It's foolish. The gospel is that we are crippled by sin, but that Jesus came to save that and to change that and to make us new. The gospel is that we've got to turn from vain things to the real thing. And to realize that without that, we're no different. Some of you will hear that and say, you know what, that's exactly what I need. And others of you will hear that and say, that, that's the most arrogant thing I've ever heard in my life. And you may not pick up a stone and throw it at me. But you'll find a way to criticize to downplay the truth of that statement. The gospel changes lives and leaves people different than they ever were before. But only if we give them the whole gospel. Only if we share with them the truth that any gospel that adds anything to the work of Christ in order for a person to be saved is no longer the gospel. If you've got a problem with that, read read the book of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is written to address the issue of people who had believed by grace, pulling back and saying, we want to add our works to that now. We we think that, that, yeah, Jesus was was, was part of the the, the solution, but, but I need... Works. I need circumcision. I need ceremonial laws. I need to keep the Mosaic law. I need to add to it. It's Jesus plus. And anytime you get Jesus plus, you don't have gospel anymore. If you think you're going to heaven because of something you've done, you got it wrong. And you need to turn from those vain thoughts to the living God. And this is the message that we've got to share with our family and our friends. We've got a lot of family and a lot of friends who are nice people who may even go to church every single week. But their idea is Jesus plus my church attendance. Jesus plus my moral rules. Jesus plus anything. 
Paul would say in Galatians, that's no gospel at all. And those are tough conversations to have. And those friends may walk away. And they may criticize you publicly or privately. But the gospel separates. It just does. And if you're looking for a message that's going to unite darkness and light, then you don't have the gospel. So we've got to decide whether it's all about us or is it all about Jesus? Paul and Barnabas said, this is not about us. We are human beings sent by God to proclaim a good news message to you. And the good news is not always all good news. See, the gospel is good news, but the good news starts with the bad news. And the bad news is we are lost, and we've been chasing vain things. That's the beginning of the gospel. And the great news is that even though I'm lost, and even though I've spent my lifetime chasing after vanity, God still paid my debt. In love, Christ died for me, Paying for all of my foolishness and my sin and all those wasted years. And that's the only way. The only way that I can be saved. That's the gospel. So today I share with you the gospel. And for some of you here today who've been sitting in church for a long, long time. You need to hear that your church attendance, your church membership, your church position is vanity. It's vanity. All that matters is what you do with Jesus Christ. Whether you believe that he really did do all the work on the cross to save your soul. When you stand before God, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? If the first thing you say is because I. Wrong. Because I. Wrong. It's going to be because Jesus paid it all. Because Jesus died for my sins. Because God's Spirit drew me, gave me what I needed to believe. It's got nothing to do with us. Everything to do with what Jesus did for us. And today, if you're trusting in anything else, and I call you to repent, to turn from those vain things to the living God. Let's pray.